0: Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money. We bring expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Alan Lazarus. Alan is the uh, founder and co-host of Next Level University, which is a global Top 100 Self-Improvement podcasts, and they're now approaching 900 episodes. They reach over half a million people in more than 120 countries. Alan holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering and a Master's in Business Administration. He's a professional speaker and business coach and consultant specializing in helping businesses maximize their growth, impact, and profitability online. He's inspiring, motivating, and educating others on what it really takes to get to the next level. Welcome to the
1: Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Alan. Thank you so much for having me. I am very much looking forward to this. I do health, wealth, and love talks often, and I'm excited to dig into the wealth side. I've been doing a lot of that lately.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to ask you up
1: front, uh, where do you live and work from, Alan? Massachusetts. It's a little town called Uxbridge. And uh, I live with my girlfriend here in North Uxbridge, and it's in Massachusetts, USA. Oh, huh? nice, nice. And you don't even say park the car by the water? I I do sometimes. Park <laughs> park in my car and have it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that you're from Arizona, right? Is that true?
0: I am. I live yep. in Phoenix, Arizona. In fact, nice. I'm one of the few, at least of my age, that uh, I'm a native of Arizona. I was born here. Nice. Nice. I've been
1: there. Scottsdale is awesome.
0: Yeah. You like it? Yeah, for sure. Very fun. Very fun. Well, I ask most people this as an opening question, Alan, and that is, um, I wonder if you just share your story with us. What was the path like that led you to a career in business coaching and self-improvement?
1: So when I go down this, this road to tell my story, the first thing I like to say is I have clarity on this now. Um, But I'm 33 now and I didn't always know. I've reflected on my life a lot. And now if I seem very clear, I just think it's important to understand that I didn't always know along the journey how this would all work out. But so I started out when I was two years old, I had a really challenging start. My father was 28 and my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28 and I was two. And I had an older sister. She was six at the time. So she was like three a little more than three years older than me and I was close to three at that time and I had my mom and so I was raised by two women my mom and my older sister and I had a stepfather from the age of three all the way to 14 and then my stepfather left at 14 and um, as a matter of fact since this is a financial show I'll just share this briefly. I was definitely a kid who didn't didn't want for anything financially for the beginning part of my life because my stepfather made good income. And when my stepfather left, so just to give perspective, in the early 2000s, we were creating a custom quarter million dollar yacht that we were building as a family. And then he got the yacht, my mom got the home. And and after that, our income was so low when my stepdad left that I actually ended up getting uh, free lunch at school. So our income was incredibly low. So I went from you know, knowing what it's like to go on trips and boats and oceans and and vacations and stuff to really, uh, you know, just bootstrapping for lack of better phrasing and working my butt off in school. So my mom gave me the best lesson that I'd ever heard. And it was, it was Alan aim high and you'll have choices because when my father passed away and my mom was a stay at home mom with two kids, she didn't feel like she had a lot of choices. And so again, because this is a financial podcast, Mm -hmm. that's really what she was saying is aim high and you'll have choices, financial choices being a part of that. Right. And so she said, Alan, you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer. I'm going to love you either way. But if you are a CEO, you can wake up one day and just decide to be a farmer. It doesn't necessarily uh, work the other way around. And so she said, aim high, life is about choices. Aim high and you'll have choices. And so Steve Jobs was my hero. I wanted to be a Fortune 50 CEO. Um, And I've got an image of him behind me, uh, but I know we're only on audio. So uh, I always resonated with that quote. The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I actually have that as my desktop background and on a plaque behind me. But my mom, when I was approaching eighth grade, she said, Alan, I'm going to take a chance on you. And she said this, she said, You can take eighth grade off. Just go have fun. Don't worry about your grades. Don't worry about academics, but you got to promise me you're going to get the president's award in high school. President's award in high school at the time was a 95 or above GPA out of 100 for every report card. So four report cards a year, four years of high school, 16 report cards straight, 95 or above. I got straight A's all through high school. I got one B plus. It was an 89 in honors English class. I'll never forget it. Miss desolates She left gave a mark. All. Yeah, definitely left a scar. No, I'm kidding. Um, but anyways, so... so I still had to go to school in eighth grade, but I didn't have to try. So if you look at my academic career, you're looking at all A's, a couple B's, and then eighth grade was like C's and D's, and then high school straight A's. I was the the obnoxious one at the awards ceremony that uh, never really sat down, like sit down, get back up. They just kept calling my name. And while I'm grateful for all that, and that's awesome, I ended up going to Worcester Polytechnic Institute. You already mentioned my computer engineering degree and then my MBA as well. Fast forward, fast forward, I, I, I started a little company called Campus Libre uh, that ended up falling through, team broke up. It was kind of like a campus specific Craigslist for textbooks, so to speak. And then I went into corporate America after college and I, I job hopped a lot. I went from 65 a year to 85, eventually 105, then to 125. Then I was approaching 200 when I was 26 years old. And this is back in 2015. And I worked at a bunch of different companies. Engineers are just very sought after in the world today, especially ones that go to technology schools and, and have computer engineering skills. So um, I was very blessed and I my mom was right. I aimed high, went to one of the best tech schools in the world, the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's kind of like a mini MIT and I was very sought after and it worked out really well. I, I made a lot of money, but when I was 26 years old, I was up in New Hampshire with my little cousin. We weren't partying or anything. We were actually playing call of duty, a video game. I'm 26 at the time. This is back in 2015. We're driving to TGI Fridays and it was up in New Hampshire. And the winter was really bad in 2015. So bad. In fact, that the snowbanks were up above the signs. And so I didn't see a yield sign. I was supposed to yield and didn't at a three-way intersection. I end up on the wrong side of the road. Now there's a Mack truck. What I thought was a Mack truck in front of me. Fortunately, it wasn't, it ended up being a lift kitted pickup truck. But when I first saw these lights, I was looking down at the GPS, looked up. I thought there was a Mack truck, 10 feet in front of me, head on collision. And I was like, there is no possibility that we're going to survive this. Oh my God, this is it. Fortunately, it was not a Mack truck pickup truck. Uh, lift kitted pickup truck like one of those really high ones up in yeah New and both airbags deployed even more fortunately i drove a 2004 volkswagen passat this was a german engineered steel trap of a car i used to literally call this car the tank really and so yeah so both airbags deployed uh go ahead
0: no i was just i'm surprised to hear that i didn't know Volkswagens were constructed so
1: sturdily. Oh. I loved this car. Yeah. The Passat saved my life. It was a tank. It was a very heavy, nice car. Honestly, yeah, it was 2004, yeah. but, and again, I, I saved a ton of money back then. So the reason I bought this car, a little backstory, 5,000 cash is 2004. This is 2015. I, I paid off $84,000 worth of debt in a single year of college debt wow. back in 2014, wow. um, which I just bootstrapped. I lived at home with my mother, right? I spent no money. I made a lot of money and I drove a crappy car or a quote unquote crappy car, but I'm grateful I did that. Cause that ended up saving my life. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it wasn't a Mack truck. Uh, the airbags deployed. Cousin hurt his uh, knee on the airbag. I hurt my face on the airbag, the Volkswagen Passat. I, I, now this is the thing though. I'm 26 at the time. My father passed away in a car accident when he was 28 so this messed me up. Physically I was okay, but mentally, emotionally and spiritually I was completely right. rattled. Right. And so I was contemplating my life, my choices, I had regrets. I was like did I live a life true to myself and am I proud of the man I became? Did I make a difference? And so for me, I had my midlife crisis when I was 26. And wow. I call it a midlife crisis because it got me to contemplate my life in a different way. And so, you know, wrapping up here, but I now live by this simple quote. I've got this true North around my neck. I I know this is audio only. So it's a North star that I wear around my neck. It's a guide and you can't see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that, which you simply could not within the light. And so when you're in emotional pain or spiritual pain or mental pain, or even physical pain, you contemplate. And so I was contemplating my life and I saw two stars I'd never seen before. The first one is Tony Robbins' Ted Talk. Regardless of what you think of Tony, that Ted Talk is unbelievable. If you have not watched it, I highly recommend it. Second one is a book by Bronnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. So what a coincidence I find this book after almost dying in a car accident. So, wow. yeah. So to this day, uh, that was back in 2016. It's now 2022, so it's been... However many years. That is, what is that? Four, five, six, almost seven years now, Uh, 2015, rather not, not 2016. So it's uh, coming up on eight years, actually, by the end of this year. And I still have a flashcard in my pocket to this moment um, with all five regrets on it. It's actually right here. Wow! And all five of the top regrets of the dying, I actually got a chance to interview Bronnie, which was really, really cool. This was like four years later on our podcast but that's how i got into business coaching and consulting and productivity and and peak performance and self improvement and i just reevaluated my life i realized that i made a lot of money from a very young age i achieved all of my quote unquote dreams i went to one of the best schools tech schools in the world but that wasn't what fulfilled me and what fulfills me now is maximizing my own potential helping others do the same and helping them improve the quality of their life. And so that's what my podcast is about. That's why I'm here today with you um, and finances. We we talk about health, wealth, and love. The number one regret of the dying, to go back to Bronnie's book, is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. And so that's really the, the thesis, the theme to, for anyone listening is, you know, whatever your aunt thinks or your uncle thinks or your mom thinks or your dad thinks, their opinions have merit and, and you can contemplate them. But at the end of the day, this is your life and you're not going to be fulfilled if you're, if you're chasing the dreams of other people. And I certainly wasn't. And so here I am seven, almost eight years later and, and helping people improve their health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, improve their wealth, which is how you make your money, how much you actually make, and then what you do with it, where you invest it. And do you even like what you do to make money, right? And is right. that increasing or decreasing over time? And then love, which is your intimate relationship, your immediate family, your business partners, colleagues, clients, coaches, mentors, mentees. And so health, wealth, and love, those are the majors. And that's that's what we focus on. So um, that's my story.
0: Wow. That's a lot of things to focus on at once. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, so you, had this, uh, you had this at 26, this this interaction with the five regrets and, and kind of a recalibration of your life at the young age of 26, you know, I, I have, uh, I have four daughters and, um, The youngest is 26. (laughs) um, I'm going to I'm going to make sure they listen to this podcast, (laughs) because I think you're talking about some things that are, are really important, just in the sense that I think everyone needs that moment. And for me, it came much later in life. The earlier, the better. To kind of sit down and contemplate who you are and why you're here. And, and and then kind of let things flow from that once you get some answers to those. It sounds like that's almost exactly what you did. I mean, you had a little help from Bronnie there, but that's just awesome that you got a hold of those things so early in your, in your life. So let's, if we can, let's talk about one piece that you mentioned, um, because that's kind of what we're focused on here is we're. Focus on personal finance, and I'm wondering what's been your experience in coaching people on personal
1: finance? Well, I believe that personal finance comes down to three main fundamentals. And I think that what I've found at this point between, just to provide context, between my business clients, my group coaching clients, my 14-person team, where I'm looking at leading right now, coaching, guiding, whatever you want to call it, 55 individuals from all over the world, different countries, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, uh, different cultures. I mean, there are certain fundamentals that you notice. And one of the fundamentals that I realized, and this is within the last couple of years is everybody's really good at one of the three, one of the three master skills of finance. Everyone's good at one of the three. Usually you have a one really good one, one terrible one, and then one decent one. And I'll give you all three of them. And I'm sure you talk on the show about these three, because it's really quite simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's just like fitness. It's actually pretty easy to exercise every day and eat below your caloric set point, but not everyone does it. So finance is the same way. It's easy, but it, it, it feels like climbing Mount Everest because there's all these acronyms of ETF and ROI and ROR and EBITDA and you know, index funds and stock options and 401ks and Roth IRAs. And it just makes it so complex when in reality, it's actually very, very simple fundamentals. And these are the three. So number one, learning how to earn more money. Now this is broken down into a couple categories. There are subcategories to each of these, and I can go into each if you'd like, but number one is learn how to earn more money. I, my business partner, Kevin, he's awesome at this one really good at earning money. Guess what though? Also really good at spending it. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) So that brings me to the second master skill, learn how to spend less money. And and I'm going to preface this of spend less money on things that don't eventually make more money. Okay. So I, I like to refer to the second one as not just spend less money, but spend less money on let's say less than ideal things. Okay. I'll give you an example. If you're going to spend $20 on a great finance book, excellent. Do that immediately. If you're going to buy new $150 shoes only because they look nice, that's going to be a bad habit financially speaking. So third master skill, first one, learn how to earn more money. Second one, optimize your expenses, learn how to spend less money, right? Especially on needless things number 3 and this is the most complex one that people people get daunted by learn how to invest your money intelligently now you know in the context of if you're going to choose between Walmart or Amazon if you if you can anticipate the future obviously Amazon's ahead in terms of the online e-commerce so Walmart might not be a bad investment but it's definitely not as good of an investment as Amazon in my opinion so your ability to anticipate the future is predicated on what you're going to bet on today. And so we can go down each of these if you want, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to go deep into the sub facets of each category. But there's two people, let's say this person A and person B. Person A, uh, I'll actually use my, someone I know, I'll keep it anonymous, but they, they, they never have made more than $19 an hour. Okay but they had excellent financial habits from a very young age and they have an investment portfolio and they were made very smart investments. Their father was actually in finance and was a finance teacher for 30 years. I believe she's going to be a multimillionaire. This is not a hope. This is a calculation. So that's the important part. I seem very confident, but it's because Kevin told me this. He said, Alan, you're confident because you're calculating these things you know, they'll happen because it's a calculation, not a guess. And I said, exactly, but that's my engineering mind. Right. So, so this person is really good at not spending money, doesn't make that much, but invests and saves all of it. I mean, she has, I think something crazy, like 70 grand in her bank account right now, just sitting there, which I told her, like, you can definitely put some of that into your investment portfolio. So anyways, That person who doesn't even make that much, but is really good at the second two skills. So not that great at earning more money, but excellent at the saving more money and then investing intelligently. She will be a multimillionaire versus Kevin before he wouldn't mind me sharing this. My business partner used Mm -hmm. to earn way more money than this person. Mm -hmm. used to earn six figures, well over six figures, but spent a lot of it and didn't invest it at all. And so... It really does come down to math. And the one last thing I want to say before we move to the next question is, I've found a correlation. I remember I was talking to my ex-girlfriend and her and I get along wonderfully. She was my girlfriend in high school. And her name's Alyssa, she's sweetest thing. And she and I had reconnected many, many years later. We were together for like four and a half years during my early college years, late late high school years. And we had connected way later. And she said, she used to say, ah, I hate math. And I remember saying, okay. I w- if I could take the amount of people in the world that say, I hate math, and then show how much of the wealth is in the, is, is in the hands of the people who say, I love math, I wish I could show people. Yeah, that'd be a so good I, experiment. Right? I said to her, I said, if you knew the downside of saying, I hate math, from your, a wealth financial perspective trust me, you would start loving math immediately. Right. right. Uh, the compound effect, the the yes. percent growth, all of that. So, so if you're out there watching or listening and you aren't in love with math, that means you don't want to be wealthy. So just fall in love with math. It's simple math. It's not crazy hard to understand. Um, just remember, don't think linearly in an exponential universe. Okay,
0: unpack that one a little bit.
1: <laughs> all right, so one of the reasons why I think people struggle so much to be successful in every area, fitness, finance, everything is because they're thinking linearly in an exponential world. So especially nowadays with the digital economy, I mean, that's why I said that I help business owners scale online because I mean, Instagram two years into its fruition, three years, I think, maybe a little more than that, maybe like five or seven, they were sold to Facebook for a billion dollars right. with 12 employees. See, 50 years no ago, kidding. yeah, 50 well, years ago, a billion dollar valuation of a company would, would be thousands of employees, if not tens of thousands. Right. So it's a new world. It's a global marketplace. We're heard in 120 countries. I'm not starting a gym in my hometown where the only market are people that drive within 20 minutes. See yeah. we're starting a podcast that can be global. and so you gotcha. have to think at scale. yeah, so most people think linearly, they think, okay, if I take thirty steps, I'm gonna be thirty steps away from here versus thirty exponential steps, which is one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty two, sixty four, one twenty eight, two fifty six, five, twelve, right And I'm a computer engineer, so I understand this. See, if you take thirty exponential steps, you end up circumventing the globe. Yeah. And so, yeah, very quickly. And so that's really, I think the concept here is, is if you aren't thinking exponentially 1% growth can compound like crazy. And if you don't understand that mathematically, of course, you're not going to make decisions that are, that are long-term.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, this, I am I'm very intrigued by your second principle of, of personal finance, uh, learning how to spend less, or, you know, you could even categorize, you know, you added a quali- a decision quality aspect to that, where you're, you're, you're thinking about your spending and, and you're, you're kind of, uh, measuring the outcomes of the spending and, and making decisions based on those, not on, just feelings or, <laughs> you know, because we all know those go away. They're swift. I, I talk w- with our clients a lot about that particular thing. But we use a little different terms. We What we try and do in our process is isolate people's lifestyle. Everybody is living a lifestyle mm-hmm. and it has a number attached to it. Mm-hmm. Most people don't quantify that number. Um, First of all, it's hard to go out. I mean, you, you really have to spend some time on it. And mm-hmm. and most people don't like math. Yep. <laughs> so, so they don't. They just don't. It's just something they avoid because they don't like math. But once you see what your lifestyle price is, you can then then, now you're in a seat to make some quality decisions about your lifestyle. And we look at like some of the, interior aspects of your lifestyle like you know we get really granular like we'll look at we expose to people how much they spent on restaurants Mm -hmm. for the last three months on an average and most people I'd say nine out of ten look at the number and their jaw hits the table and the reason their jaw hits the table is they're not getting the return That they would expect for the amount that they're investing in restaurants. Now, occasionally, I have met a couple people that had very high restaurant numbers. When I exposed them to it, they went, oh, wow, that's something I said. Is this something you'd like to lower? Because it'll free up some capital to put towards investments. And they said, absolutely not. That's my lifestyle. I get joy from that. Um, I like to pick up checks. It's who I am. I'm not going to change that number. And when I meet people like that, I'm I'm very impressed because they've actually thought it through. Right. They've they you know, they knew the number was high before I told them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and and they're OK with it. It's it's just an informed decision, but we try and show the advantage to what you're talking about, Alan. Is which is if you if you can cap your lifestyle and keep it at a certain level as your income grows, you will have all kinds of money to invest, and yep. that those investments then, to you, to borrow your phrase, compound over time, and you will have more money than you ever dreamed you had. But a key is keeping that lifestyle at at a point, you know, you want to live a lifestyle that you're happy with. You don't want to suffer, but there are uh, trade-off decisions to be made along the journey. So that, that's how we kind of address that second point. Um, the,
1: the, the simple version of that is you can play now and pay later.
0: That's right. That's a credit right. card,
1: play now, pay later, yeah. or... You can pay now and play later. And trust me, that second equation is so much better. (laughs) Yes. No
0: kidding. People say, well,
1: what if I die tomorrow? Hey, what if you don't? What if you don't? Because statistically, 74 for females, 73 for males. Google it. You cannot play life with the decision-making paradigm of a time perspective of one year when statistically speaking, the average is 74. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's that's a good word right there. Hey, I'm really curious about your uh, number one too, because I'm a big believer in side hustles. Is it, and I'm not sure where you come down on how to earn more money. Kind of give us your take on how to earn more money, if you would. So
1: absolutely. So er, these are the three master skills. Those three buckets I already gave: earn more mm-hmm. money, optimize your expenses, and then invest intelligently. Those are simple, but they have sub facets. So the first one has the, the the simple sentence for the first one is you get paid in proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. So at my company, for example, next level university, 14 person team, not everyone has the same skills. Not everyone is paid the same, nor should they be. And that is just called merit. And I'm going to be very direct in this conversation. I was 16 years old and I was making $7 and 25 cents an hour as a cart kid. And as a bus boy, And I made the least money because I was the least valuable and I shouldn't have been making any more than that. I was 16 years old and that's okay. 16 year olds don't know a whole lot, right? I certainly didn't. (laughs) So my understanding, but then when I was in my twenties, after all of the learning and understanding of computer engineering and signal analysis and MBA, of course, I'm going to make more money. I'm supposed to, right? Right. So the first thing that people have to understand is that It's your intrinsic value is different than your economic value. You do get paid in proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. And our company, for example, and this is something that I'll bring to the table as well. Hopefully this will blow everyone's mind. You do not earn, everyone think of the amount of money they earn right now. Okay. So let's say hypothetically it's $70,000 a year. Okay. You do not earn $70,000 a year because you want to earn $70,000 a year. You earn $70,000 a year because you're not aware of how to earn $80,000 a year yet, yet. So our company is projected genuinely for hundred million by 2030 growth revenue per year. And when I say things like that, people are like, oh, that's so arrogant, blah, blah, blah. No, we're starting a software company. It's not arrogant, it's projected, it's calculated. Now we're about to surpass the half million dollar mark right now and we're projected to double every year until 2030. And then beyond that too. So it gets, the numbers get wild, but here's my point. And by the way, that's me working every single day, six days a week, and then taking Sundays for family and for house optimization stuff. So, so there's a lot of work that goes into this, but my point is this, you get paid in proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. The reason why I know we'll be making hundreds of millions in the future within our business is because I'm aware of how to do it. Other people have done it. I've studied them. I've studied all of it. I know how to do it. I know how to create the software. I know how to create business. I am a business coach. But if you're out there listening, you can learn how to earn more money too. But you're not going to do that. And this is the mirror, right? I was on a uh, virtual event. We do monthly virtual events. And they're on Zoom and they're private. And it's awesome because you get to talk about these taboo topics like finances. I say, I'm going to be very direct with all of you. I've read dozens if not hundreds of finance books. I've taken finance courses, I have my MBA. See, when I'm wealthy, it's going to be because I studied it for decades. So, if you're out there and you want to be wealthy and this was a, a an event called wealth creation, if mm-hmm. it makes you insecure that I've read a dozen finance uh, dozens of finance books, dozens, I have them right here, basic yeah. economics, right? Yeah. Then that is a problem. And here's my question. You want to be wealthy, wealth creation. How many finance books have you read? Yeah, I know. That.
0: Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. And so to, to, the, there's three sub facets of this first one that I want to give you before we move on. How do I earn more money, Alan? Thank you for the deeper understanding. Okay, number one, you get paid more money by doing something that the world desperately needs. So Michael Jordan, millions of dollars, best basketball player in the world. Guess how much Michael Jordan would have been paid to pay, play basketball 100 years ago? He would have been bucks. paid $0. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because no one was, there was no market for it. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of my clients was an Android coder. The world desperately needs Android coders and there's not that many of them compared to the demand. He made $200,000 huh. $200, a year working four hours a day. Now he has his own business and he's in NFTs and he's doing way better than that now. He made his annual income into... I think it's monthly income, which is awesome. But anyways, so my point is, is the first one is, is what you're doing desperately needed? Yeah. Cause if it's not, you're in trouble. Second, second facet, go ahead. If you want to.
0: No, I'm, I'm okay. just agreeing with you.
1: Second facet. Second facet is how good are you at it in comparison, statistical comparison. Now people say comparison is bad, blah, blah, blah. I know. In statistical comparison to the other people in your field, how good are you at what you do? Mm. So number one, how needed is what you do. Number two, how good are you at it? You should pay Michael Jordan more than Joe Schmo. That would be very bad business choice for you not to pay him more. He's Mm -hmm. the better basketball player and he's entertaining and he sells tickets and sells stadiums and sells merchandise. Okay. It's not in his intrinsic value. Joe Schmo and Michael Jordan spiritually have the same values economically, not even close, nor should they. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number three. So first one, how needed is what you do in the world? Number two, how good are you at it compared to the other people who do that same thing in the world? Number three, how difficult would it be to replace you to that specific organization? Interesting. So we, Yeah, we have an amazing COO. His name's Alessandro. Alessandro is so unreasonably valuable to our organization. He knows that. We know that. Awesome. Right. Of course, Alessandro is going to get a raise quicker than the other team members, and he should. Meritocracy matters. Right. We're not pretending here we have real tangible skills, and Mm -hmm. the value of those skills is predicated on the context. Michael Jordan playing football or baseball, which he tried to do, should not pay him $10 million. Playing basketball, you definitely should. So see how his value is determined on context. Yes. And so that's super important. So those are the three sub facets um, to sum them up. Number one, how good are you at what you do? Number two, how needed is it in the marketplace? Number three, how difficult would it be for the business owner you work for to replace you? Or if you are a business owner, how difficult would it be to replace yourself? Um, Which is interesting.
0: Yeah, which it, it, you know that that is an interesting one to think about. Now this is going to be a little tangential, but last week I talked to a gentleman who values businesses. He puts, you know, businesses sell all the time.
1: I saw that episode. Yeah, uh, did you?
0: Um, yep. And uh, he talked about if if that's your goal, if that's your end run as a business owner, is to sell your business for. X millions or whatever, and then you're going to ride off into the sunset or or go do something different. The necessity of your business living on beyond you. So you kind of have to work your if that's your goal, you kind of have to work your way out of the business so that the business can continue without you. But if you're like, as you were referring to, um, if your gig is you own a business and that's who you want to be then it makes sense to stack your value inside your own business and bet on yourself and, and, and do well. I like, I like what you're, where you're going with there, but even inside of that, it kind of, you know, the motives you have to, you have to kind of tweak your value according to your end goals. And we're talking about earning more money here. So that's, it's, it's a worthwhile reflection to, to, just ask those simple questions that you listed out. Um, and I think those three questions uh, are all pointed to what is the value? What, what value do you bring to the table in your current job? Exactly. And if it's, if it's not
1: much. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if it's not much, you're yeah. in trouble.
0: Yeah. You're on ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, this has been awesome. I'm going to wrap now, and but I want people, uh, our listeners, the strategists, to know how they can get a hold of you, should they want to continue conversations or connect with you in any way. What's the best way to get a hold of Alan Lazarus?
1: So Next Level University is the name of our podcast. And the reason I say that is we're on every podcast platform. We're on YouTube, and it's spelt just like it sounds, Next Level University. And my contact information is in the show notes of every single episode. So my Instagram is in there. My LinkedIn's in there. My email's in there right now between my assistant and I, we get back to everyone who reaches out. I don't know if that will always be the case, um, but right now we do. And so if this resonated, reach out, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. And I love this stuff. I mean, you and I got to geek out together. So so if anyone has any questions, reach out.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Alan. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate your input, appreciate your thoughts, and wish you all the best in the future.
1: Thank you. You as well. Thanks for having me.
0: And now, strategists, keep on strategizing.